0: Hello. Hello. You are listening to This
1: Is Awkward, the podcast about how to have difficult conversations. We are your hosts, Leanne Nicole and Christy McLeod. Ever
0: feel like you put your foot in your mouth more often than a contortionist? Or worse, say nothing at all when confronted with tricky subjects? We are here to help by dissecting what makes some conversations so difficult and how you can broach
1: them. Life would be easier without awkward silences, faux pas, and full blown rows. We will be talking to some amazing guests who will recount some of their trickiest conversations and what they learnt from them, as well as offering
0: some brilliant hints and tips on how to tackle some of life's most awkward topics. Time to fill those awkward silences. week we are talking with the editor-in-chief at the HuffPost, Kate Sevier. Kate has had a varied career working for some of the biggest companies in the world as well as working for herself as a self-employed freelancer so she has a wealth of knowledge about the world of work and the sticky situations that can crop up the paperback edition of her fantastic book how to work without losing your mind is available now it's brilliant and I am really really looking forward to her take on some of the topics we'll be covering today
1: Kate, thank you so much for joining us today. The title of your book had me hooked from the start. I'd like to know what from your own experiences inspired the title.
2: Hi, um, firstly, thank you for that wonderful, very welcome uh, introduction. The title of the book, you know, it was a really hard one, actually. And it was kind of what ended up being the title is the way that I just kind of started describing the book. I think at first, I wanted it to be called like, uh, how to work. And then that didn't I think there was another book actually on uh, for my publisher that had a very similar sounding title. And I think then when I was describing it to somebody else, I was like, you know, it's like how to work, but like, Essentially, how to work without losing your mind and and that's where uh where we got to
1: and are there any experiences from your working life where you really felt like you might be close to actually losing your mind? Oh my
2: God, yes, there's like <laughs> so many like which which do I choose um I truly have had like just such a um Oh, oh, a vast amount of like crazy experiences and have worked with, you know, incredible people, but then also just, I mean, like I worked for Jeremy Clarkson. So I think that that kind of like says enough, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, I think we're with you with that.
2: <laughs> um, but yeah, it's been, uh, I think in particular, what in, in inspired this book was I, Had gone freelance because I lost my job. Um, I worked at a a women's online magazine called The Pool. Um, I was editor in chief there. It was really cool. Like, one of the co founders was um, uh, Lauren Laverne. Um, And I I really loved it. And there were so many people involved in it that were just brilliant. And it was like one of those publications that a lot of people, it just had like a really strong community. Um, And then unfortunately, it folded in a really surprising spectacularly public fashion where I think I had pretty much like every freelancer and uh, on Twitter that worked for us just like very angry. And I think because I was the only senior member of staff that was like on Twitter at the time, um, I got the brunt of it. Uh, and that was hard and they were, you know, justifiably angry, you know, cause we all just suddenly just like stopped getting paid overnight. Um, and so like coming out of that, coming out of, uh, a really difficult working situation that I was in when I was uh, working at Google before that I had just had like enough experiences and as I mentioned I'm working with the ex top gear presenters um I just had uh I had reached a point where I couldn't work for anybody else anymore and be at the mercy of their bad decisions. I kind of wanted to be at the mercy of my own bad decisions. Um, and I just like all those experiences just kind of like came to a head. And I remember I had like a, a, a list on my phone, of like things that I had learned in my professional life. And I thought, oh, I should kind of make something of those. And at first I thought it might be an article and or maybe a podcast and if that did well enough then maybe I would do a book and then I just kinda had to cut the crap and realize, you know, no, I, I wanna I wanna write a book about this stuff. And so uh that's what I did. Not to say that it was like easy or like and then I woke up and then it was published, but you know, that's kind of what what led me to that.
0: Oh, it's brilliant. I love that idea of the list on your phone. Oh, I don't know about you, I have so many moments, you know, and we'll come on to this probably as, as part of this, this discussion, but there's so many of those moments and the way you go, I'll talk about this in an interview one day, I'm having the worst day ever, I'm dealing with the most difficult people or situation, but um, yeah, I know I often go, that's one for us. That that's one for uh, for an interview moment. <laughs> Before we talk in a bit more detail about some of those more thorny aspects of awkward conversations in the workplace, I would love to get your perspective on those more informal moments of awkwardness. So, by that, what I'm talking about is, I'm sure you've probably found yourself in this situation, you know, the work nights out where you find yourself in a corner with someone who has views that you really don't agree with, or, you know, oh, I've just started my shift and I'm trying to make my breakfast. And someone's telling me about her sex antics from the last, from the last evening, you know, the big chronic oversharer. It's, you know, have you had your own experiences along those lines? I know have you got any advice for how to handle those sorts of socially ick conversations?
2: Oh, God. Yeah. Just even just some of those examples, like, like made my blood run cold. Um, (laughs) Yes, it, I definitely have. And I think it's just, you know, it's just part of it. I think unless, you know, we're all in lockdown, and we are uh, in our own homes and don't have any small talk or any opportunities for small talk or, you know, sitting in the pub. uh, That's the only way to, I think, avoid those. And even then they tend to slip in. (laughs) Um, So Yeah, I think the most important thing to do in situations like that, whether you're, you know, being cornered by someone, as you said, when you're just trying to make a tea, or just trying to like warm up your breakfast and someone feels like they really want to just overshare about their (laughs) night before, um, or you're at the pub and you're, you know, again, cornered and having to listen to someone's dreadful political opinions. Um, I think the best thing you can always do is to you know, kind of stick to your own boundaries. That doesn't mean that you then need to also jump in and be like, Oh my God, me too. Last night I did this, that, and the other, like keep your boundaries, especially if you're in management or in a leadership position, like stick to your boundaries and what you are comfortable talking about. And it's kind of like when, you know, you, if you're not at a work situation, but you're just kind of cornered by someone that you don't really want to be talking to, or that drunk person just keeps paying you attention. And you're like, Oh my God, like the worst thing you can do is encourage it. So, like, you don't want to be like a jerk about it or be offensive or cause a scene or anything because you are at work and it's a kind of different kind of vibe. But I think, you know, just smiling, making your tea as quickly as possible, going, oh, that sounds like a lot. <laughs> 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 or, you know, if someone is making, you know, terrible opinions, just be like, oh, Okay. Well, I I definitely disagree with that. I think, you know, finding your own, you don't have to like go to a script or something, but I think, you know, sticking to your own values, your own boundaries, what you're comfortable talking about. And then also being very aware of like what you, you don't want to give them an opportunity. Like, I think, what is it in like um, improv when you're always meant to say like, Yes. And rather than <laughs> saying no, because that like shuts it down. That's that's an example of when you want to just kind of shut it down and you don't want to give more space and, and air time to, to the situation. So I think, you know, getting yourself out of there as quickly as you can, whether that's getting up to go to the loo or going back to the bar or just leaving full stop, um, or just making your tea as quickly as possible and saying, Oh wow, it sounds like you definitely uh, had had a rough night. Well, I hope the rest of your day goes okay. And getting the hell out of there, um, you know, polite, setting boundaries, and then getting yourself the hell out of that situation is probably the best thing that you can do.
0: Yeah, that little beat just—it's uh, sort of the uh, the equivalent of that's a really interesting question, isn't it? When your mind goes blank, you think, "Where do I go with this?" And I love that point about sticking to your boundaries because I think. In those moments when it's really awkward, the temptation—I I, I think I'm quite a people pleaser—and I think I often find myself feeling like, "Oh, do I have to? Do I have to sort of go along with this?" When you think, "Oh no, that's that's really not m- my bag," you know, whatever the conversation may be. And I love that idea of no, be be really true to your own boundaries, but again, you know, you don't have to be rude within that, but that having that confidence to take that beat and say, you know, I don't, I don't have to go along with this chat if it's making me feel uncomfortable.
2: Yeah. And you don't want someone else who is around also making their breakfast, also making their own tea. They don't, you don't want to be seen to be part of this conversation, right? You Mm -hmm. don't want, because for the sake of being polite or whatever, you don't want someone, you know, airing out their, their, terrible uh political views or whatever that kind of especially if it goes against like the company's values Mm -hmm. right like to be seen um entertaining that conversation or or encouraging it or to be a part of it right so i think you know that's where you know being aware that other people or could be listening or could be, you know, observing the situation unfolding, I think not to add extra pressure to it. But you know, for all the reasons that you want to get yourself out of that situation, you also want to be seen to be getting out of that situation. And you know, it depends on the we're not talking about like the wider scale, like, Oh, God, I need to go to HR about this. (laughs) But you know, for the kind of minor but still super awkward or you know borderline inappropriate situations just you know it's it comes as you said you know giving yourself that beat and then getting the hell out of there
0: (laughs) absolutely oh thank you right so that's my first takeaway that i will be uh, committing to memory I guess one of the things that is typical of the working environment is that there are often these inevitable power imbalances, and that can have a huge impact on how we navigate difficult conversations, can't it? Um, And I know you covered this in the book, and I wondered if you could explain what those power differences can look like and how they can play out, particularly when it comes to having difficult conversations.
2: Yeah. So I think, um, you know, thinking back to some of the difficult conversations that I had to have, um, that inspired, uh, that section of the book. And when you, it's funny, when you were talking, I immediately like pictured myself back into a a meeting room and a series of particularly difficult conversations I had a few jobs ago. And that was very much a situation where, um, I was not in a position of of power in this company. The power dynamic in the room was, you know, my manager was quite senior, myself. And uh, in those situations, when you are kind of blindsided by information, which I think can unfortunately happen um to a lot of folks right now with people you know being made redundant um or you know difficult cuts and and changes being made and to their their daily working um experience um when you don't kind of hold the cards or you're not kind of in control of the pace of the meeting or the the subject matter it can be really difficult and i think one of the bits of information or advice that i was given um while i was writing this book is that you know, when someone says to you, okay, you have a terrible peer review, or we got this terrible piece of feedback, or you're not performing in your job the way that you should be, or whatever difficult conversation is being brought to you where you're kind of on the receiving end of that information, you absolutely have the right to go, okay, this is a lot for me and I'm really struggling to process this information and I'll be honest that I'm finding it hard to uh, have a constructive conversation about this. So actually, I would really like for us to be able to pause this meeting and come back to it either later this afternoon or tomorrow because I actually feel quite upset and I don't feel like I'm in the right space to have this conversation with you right now.
1: I I really love that. In your book, actually, that permission, you talk about giving yourself the permission to take those pauses and to step back and to step out so you can clear your head and process your emotions before dealing with difficult news and difficult subjects. And I think so many of us just see and just react to what's right in front of us. Uh, and then go out and think of what we would have said with a clear head. So I really like that bit of advice. I think that's incredibly helpful.
0: Definitely. Yeah, that point about when you feel blindsided, um, you know, obviously that person that's been gearing up to give that feedback, they've had that time to prepare themselves and run it through in their head and rework and, you know, get to the best possible version. Well, you'd hope. <laughs> it doesn't always go like that, but you'd hope. Um Whereas that person on the receiving end, again, it's so interesting, you know, this this point around take that time, as you say, the you know, take that time because it, it gives the person on the other end just that little bit of power back and it sort of levels the playing field a little bit, doesn't it?
2: Uh, it absolutely does. And I think you would be really hard pressed even the most, you know unempathetic of of people holding the power in that dynamic. Um, if you say, look, I'm I'm not able to really have this conversation right now. And that's not about storming out or throwing a strop, but just being like, look, I don't, I don't think I can have a constructive conversation or give you the answers that you're looking for right in this moment. Um, can we, can we please revisit this? You know, as I said, you know, even in an hour or whatever later today, that kind of that's just very honest and human, and I think if you're in a situation where you ask for that and it's not given to you, that's I mean, could there be a red or flag? Like, get out of there. Absolutely. <laughs> if someone can even, you know, give you the the grace to, um, you know, gather yourself, and I think that that also equally, if you were the person in that room uh, on the other side of that conversation where you have to break you know, difficult news to somebody that they're losing their job or that they've had some bad feedback or they're not performing as they should, no matter what it is, you know, managers don't like doing that either. You know, just, they're just human beings. They not, may not always seem like it, but you know, they're just human beings who, you know, are always not in a position. They may be in a, they may seem to have more power than you, but chances are they've, they are a messenger a lot of the times. Um, and If you are going into that, a difficult conversation as as a manager in a senior position, you can also just grant somebody that grace of having a moment, some time to digest something. And they don't need to do that while sat in the room with you. You can also say, look, this is the deal. This is the information. I know this is a lot. And I really appreciate that you may not know... um, how to react or the questions to ask so i'm very happy to sit in this room with you all, if you want to figure that out with me here i'm also very okay with us just kind of ending the meeting here you may go home for the rest of the day if you so wish and we can check back first thing tomorrow you know being a human being and showing empathy um and as much as you can um and as much as you know time frames allow um really, really goes a long way. Because you can't, you know, magic someone's job back into existence, but you can, you know, treat them as well as, as as you possibly can.
1: I think that's really interesting point, is we we often think of the employee and how difficult it is for them because of the power imbalance. But actually we do forget what it's like for managers that we are humans and delivering bad news to your team members is really really tough so with that in mind and um, bearing in mind your your experiences having you know experienced many different power dynamics in your working life which do you think made you more uncomfortable the employee trying to create harmony with a difficult boss or the employer delivering bad news
2: well i am a control freak. Um, so (laughs) I, I have found, um, over the last five years and I didn't, I didn't really know this about myself, but, you know, through the process of writing this book and subsequently, um, returning to, to full-time employment in a, in a management leadership position, um, and experiencing, you know, being a contractor, being a freelancer, um, Being a contractor, but just like in a non-management individual contributor position, um, I've learned that for me, I would always, always much rather be the person delivering terrible news and to even just be a powerless middle manager with some semblance of power and control versus not having any when it comes to being a decision maker. Um, I... like. I avoid conflict and confrontation at any cost. I am a uh, recovering people pleaser. (laughs) Um, But even then I would much rather have some semblance of control and information in that kind of dynamic and be the person delivering bad news, especially because I know that I will do it in a better way than most people will as well. Um, I don't like, and like, look, we're all at the mercy of the universe and, and, and capitalism. So there's only so much <laughs> control that we can actually have. But um, I I personally would always rather be the person delivering news and receiving it.
1: I love that. I love the fact that you're so authentic because throughout your book, you're like, yeah, there's all these problems um, that you may encounter at work but we still got to pay our bills. This is the system that we live in. Um, So it's definitely not an idealistic look. It's a really realistic look, and that's really helpful. So with that in mind, with so many difficult conversations we can have at work, from the discomfort of like a really bad performance review or if you're requesting a pay rise for some people, talking about money is incredibly uncomfortable, or even if you're feeling bullied are there any golden rules that you swear by for approaching difficult conversations at work
2: yes so i think the most important thing that i've learned is like you just mentioned um you know being being authentic and and realistic i think when i was probably in my most difficult working situation where i felt like i had absolutely no power whatsoever, um, and no influence whatsoever. I was just kind of at the mercy of, um, this, a group of people um, in, in management. Um, I learned that no management framework, no sort of, uh, you know, this is how you have these conversations and those sorts of things just kind of confuse me and stress me out. If I'm trying to like stick to a script. Um, I think knowing in my gut what I need a message to be. And even if that means like bringing, um, a notebook and having like, (laughs) I've had really, really difficult conversations that I've had to have. I've like written out how I want that conversation to go and all of the things that I want to say, like verbatim, and then just rewritten that and rewritten that and rewritten that. So then it's finally just like a one pager of like, maybe five bullet points. So I can glance down at my notebook mid conversation and go, oh, that's right. I needed to bring up this point. And oh, yeah, I can't forget that I need to say this. And being very open, like when I go into the room and saying, I have a notebook here. This is just so I don't forget some of the things that I want to talk about today. Um, I think just remaining honest and true to your own communication style and your own kind of sense of self is like, you won't lose that even when you're super stressed. And even if you're very nervous in a meeting, I think if you, sounds weird, but like staying close to yourself, um, I think is kind of the best bit of information. Because even if you're delivering tough news, if you're on the other side of it, if you're asking for a pay rise, if you need to raise a complaint about something, I think remaining, you know, as close to your center as possible, and the thing that you know that you want to say, and the reasons why you need to say it. Um, that will that will never fail you, even if other like frameworks and stuff, um, or you know, trying to behave like someone else or try to talk like an assertive woman that you saw in a film one time. Like that just doesn't work for me, and I, I have tried it and failed miserably at it. So. <laughs>
1: I have also tried that, and yeah, it definitely doesn't work.
0: (laughs) I know someone who um, used to play "Eye of the Tiger" before she went into work on the day she knew she was going to have a tricky conversation. Oh, Christy,
1: Christy, Christy! (laughs) What what could what could we say about that song? (laughs)
0: Anyway, Um, moving on, (laughs) moving on. Now, I love that. I really, really love this. Um, You know those those points about it's it's so simple the way the way that you say it, but actually, it's just it's really helpful and so tangible you know just that point about go away and just make some notes beforehand and and having almost like a little flow of what you need to say it's so simple when you when you say it but yeah I can just imagine that will really help people listening to this because that would apply for so apply to so many potential scenarios really For anyone who has had a conversation that really hasn't gone well and they're, you know, hiding in the toilets thinking, How on earth am I ever gonna pull this back? Is there any encouraging word are there any encouraging words that you could that you could offer them to to bring them back from the brink? What can they do if it's gone horribly wrong and they need to fix it?
2: Own up to it. I think the worst thing you can do is to just Like if you feel like, God, that was horrendous. Like we know when we've messed up and we also know when like, Oh, that was borderline. I'm kind of concerned about it. What is going to go wrong by apologizing? (laughs) You know, like I think if you, if you're trying to communicate something to your team and then it doesn't go well or it's clunky or it's awkward, I think it is so okay to just, whether that's like a one-on-one with someone that went wrong or a team meeting and you need to kind of readdress everyone. I think it the soonest opportunity, depending on the situation or whatever, like just being like, Hey, when we talked about this thing, I don't think that that meeting was necessarily as productive as possible. And I think that I failed to communicate what I really meant. And I meant this, I meant that. And so I just wanted to own up to this and, and, and apologize if I came across harsh or if, um, this wasn't as clear as it could have been, that's totally on me, but I wanted to, it's like the whole rupture and repair thing. Like, okay, this, this didn't go right, but I need to kind of own up to it. And, uh, whether it's an apology or just a reclarification, and it could be that that person goes, Oh my God, thank you. Yeah. I found, I found that difficult and I wasn't quite sure what to do with it. Or they may go, what are you talking about? We're totally fine. Mm-hmm. No, I get it. You're good. You know, but how much better are you gonna feel knowing that one, oh yeah, it did go badly and I'm glad that I fixed it, or oh, didn't go as bad as I as I imagined and 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 that's okay. I can now sleep tonight. Okay. Um, and and equally if you're on the receiving end of a of a of a bad meeting, or if you feel like, God, my, my managers I don't really know what they want from me you can absolutely ask for a follow up and just be like, Hey, so I'm not clear (laughs) on on this thing. I think, again, it just goes back to like being as honest um, uh, as you can um, in in these situations and and to get that clarity. Cause I know for me, like I literally won't be able to sleep if I think that a conversation went really badly um, and I didn't communicate something as well as, as well as I should have done. Absolutely.
0: It's it's interesting, isn't it? I think um, post COVID, I know before we before we started recording, we we were talking about uh, everyone being just so much more accepting of things like you know, it's just the the human nature of of you know our, our own humanity, as it were. You know, I think now there's there's a lot of talk, isn't there, about people being able to bring their whole self to the workplace and and be authentic and. I think that's a really, really positive shift that I think lots of people are on a, you know, different stages of that journey, for for want of a better word. But I think, you know, listening to you describe that process of of being honest and saying, Oh, actually, yeah, I did that didn't go so well. And particularly for people in a leadership position, it just opens the floodgates, doesn't it, for people to actually have meaningful conversations with each other and be able to say, it gives people permission doesn't it to say we're all human we all mess up sometimes but that's okay um and it also invites people to ask questions of each other the whole like
2: bring your whole self to work thing like to be honest like i hate that <laughs> <laughs> i hate it because when people say that when companies say that they don't actually know what they're saying like i do think that they're being honest i think that they they in their own kind of naive way think yes i do i do want my staff to bring their whole selves to work but what they actually mean is that they want like you know like the light version of you they can only deal with kind of like mental health light they can deal with like a touch of anxiety like a bit of depression that then you know magically has gone away or like you know your your sad stories from the past but nothing like really serious or that's currently happening like people's whole selves are dark. (laughs) It's complicated and messy. Mm -hmm. And businesses are simply not prepared to deal with someone's actual whole self. So for me, I'm always just kind of like, no, what you mean is you want people to be like authentic enough and honest enough, but to be boundaried and to have their own mental health issues contained. Um, that's what that means. So I think for, you know, the kind of whole self thing. Those are my strong feelings on that. But that doesn't mean that that it's like this. It's a very fine line with, you know, sharing too much, not sharing enough, being like a corporate robot who doesn't have any kind of isn't bringing any of themselves to work. And then how do you be authentic and boundaryed and true to yourself and honest at the same time? Um, and I think it's that kind of exact reason why not everyone should be a people manager or in a leadership position, because that's a really hard line to walk and not everyone can do it and do it well. Um, It's and even just like as an employee going to work, like that question of how much of myself do I like, how much of my own authenticity do I let shine? It'll be different at every kind of organization that you're in with every team that you work with. Um, But I think that's now one of the kind of hardest things to grasp. And I think it's, it's, um, it's a spectrum, it will ebb and flow, it'll change. Um, But I think, and also, I think you're a good indicator of that, like how you feel, what you're happy sharing, it'll look different for everyone.
1: Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I I think uh, a line from your book that I remember is feel your feelings and do your job anyway. And uh, and I really like that. And as a manager, I, I definitely found uh, being my authentic self much more difficult I definitely felt like I had to put up a bit more of a barrier. Kate do you have anything that you would
2: like to add that we haven't covered already? There are so many different ways that we can run into awkward conversations now at work <laughs> there's just so it's just a minefield and you know if you work in um, international companies um, people get really uncomfortable talking about like the cultural differences between offices and people who do not have English as their first language, which is a lot of people if you work in a global company, because not everybody grew up speaking English, weirdly enough, but people get really uncomfortable with talking about like the communication issues that can occur when not everyone has the same like, you know, cultural nuances in their way of working or in their way of communicating. Um, so I don't know, I think, you know, people being more open about the fact that things are awkward and uncomfortable, and that people are uncomfortable in those moments and giving people grace to be a human being, and also asking people to grow up sometimes, like, it's not just like, I think, sometimes there's this view that like, if we get more honest and authentic with ch- with each other, it means that we're just kind of like these like, like uh, melting snowflakes and just everyone's like talking about their feelings all the time. Like, that's not what that means. It just means that things are more honest and therefore actually can be more efficient because you're not spending all this time dancing around awkward things and not awkward subjects and letting things, you know, keep burning when they should have just been extinguished a long time ago. So I think at the, at the end of the day, people being more authentic and, and, Honest with each other is actually better for business, but it's not easy, and that's why so many people, you know, avoid it. But I don't know. I just went off on a tangent there, but um, no, no but- that that is actually
1: you basically have just uh, encapsulated our podcast, right? <laughs> if you have the difficult conversation, then you can move on instead of. As you say, dancing around the subject, or these miscommunications, and you know these
2: awkward silences. And I mean, you're doing you're doing people a disservice by not having by not making the effort to have a difficult and awkward conversation, right? And like in your in your marriage, in your relationships with your children, with your family, with your colleagues. If you're not making the effort to have an awkward conversation, you're lying by omission essentially by kicking it down the road and hoping you know maybe they'll bring it to you or it'll go away you know it is so important so yeah no i think what you guys are doing is um super important thank you and if anybody
1: is really struggling with starting those difficult conversations at work where can they get your fantastic book how to work without losing your mind
2: well um it is available um as an ebook um so kindle anywhere else i um, think kobo um i'm on uh, audible if you like audiobooks um and you know of course all good bookshops waterstones amazon realistically um but yeah if you google it you will find it in whatever form you wish
0: fantastic thank you kate Absolutely. thank you so much kate severe so that was our chat with Kate Sevilla. What did you make of it, Leanne?
1: I really enjoyed it. I think mm. she's like, this is the reality of work and it can be hard. And there are all these tricky situations and tricky conversations, but she gives you the tools to address them. And I could just listen to her all day, I think.
0: Yeah, she had a very soothing voice, but I, get, uh,
1: but I totally agree. Leanne, what were your takeaways um my main takeaways were about authenticity um and how there is a balance between bringing your whole self to work which is something that is complicated and being authentic um as a manager i think i said in the podcast i struggled a bit with how authentic i should be and it's okay to be authentic but actually have your uh, have parts of yourself you keep back and I think that that's a, a good thing to kind of bear in mind definitely yeah I
0: I had very similar takeaways from a, from a slightly different angle as well but rooted in the same fundamental point so my two oh gosh when she was saying you know when we were talking about the kind of water cooler moments so and she said about just Bringing it back to your own boundaries, and I thought, yes, I totally need to do that. And that word, boundaries. Since we recorded that chat, I have been sharing that advice with anybody who will listen (laughs) because it's just such a, it's just such a common situation that crops up, and it's just brilliant. I feel like I've pocketed that now in my arsenal of things that I can draw upon when I'm in a tricky situation. So, thank you, Kate. I shall be uh, bringing that out. Uh, next time someone comes at me with something wildly inappropriate when i'm making my porridge um and the other one again was this um as you've touched upon this idea about being your authentic self in the workplace, and it's really interesting because I was reflecting again after we'd after we'd had that chat, and I completely agreed with her this point about it's a gray area, this idea of bringing your truly authentic self to work because. As she said during our chat, you know, people are messy and that's not necessarily conducive to a professional working environment. And I just think, gosh, some of the most challenging conversations that I've had throughout my career, one that always springs to mind from years ago where someone behaved in such an what I deemed to be such an inappropriate and unprofessional manner – But actually, when I think back, that person was genuinely being their authentic self. And that's how they felt in that moment. Would I have behaved? in that way myself no was that my authentic self no was i grateful to them being their authentic self no and <laughs> it it is really difficult to get that balance right but i've certainly i know you know coming at it from the other side when you have those moments where you think you're going to explode you know i've i've had my own moments where <laughs> in the back of my mind I'm thinking well, I am not being true to my authentic self right now because if I was, I would be using all the bad
1: words. (laughs) It would be all the swears. It's like know your audience and be aware of your environment and like societal norms within the workplace. It's like there's a a bit of a clash there with all of our authentic selves unless you're modeling yourself on Malcolm Tucker. I've done performance management reviews with people I've been close to and that has been excruciating for me because there is a friendship there mm-hmm. and a friendship you know a genuine friendship that spans the hierarchy and that can be really uncomfortable
2: yeah. luckily
1: I had HR um with me I have direct experience of how not to do it and that is um <laughs> somebody just completely Avoiding uh the confrontation altogether. Do tell. There was a guy uh in Australia um when I was chambermaiding, I was an 18-year-old backpacker fulfilling the mm-hmm. cliche, and I was teammating. And um on one of my rounds with my colleague, two other backpackers turned up and started also making the beds. And uh my colleague and I were just looking at each other thinking who were these jokers? Um, but we let them get on with it. And then afterwards, I went to my manager and said, um, there's another couple of people on on the rounds with us. And he said, yeah, you're finished here. <gasps> but in a in an Australian oh! accent. <laughs> and uh, I was completely shocked, completely blindsided, didn't see it coming, had no idea what he was talking about, um, but took myself off to the big boss manager, um, which I'm quite proud of myself as a, you know, little eighteen year old full of gumption. And yeah. uh, had that difficult conversation. Why why are you why are you firing me and I now have to get a ticket home to Blighty? Yeah, it turns out there's no reason or one that he could decipher, but uh this middle manager just decided to fire us But um had completely avoided any sort of real conversation about it uh, which I found astounding Um, and um, I didn't have much respect for him at all and something Kate talked about uh, in our chat was about owning it when you've done something shitty or or you've or you've communicated wrong and yeah. I really like that and it reminded me of a time uh, again harking back quite a long time when I was a barmaid I've had about a thousand jobs but I was a <laughs> barmaid in London and I'd got locked down so I couldn't get in for my shift and then so I went home and then the guy caught me up in a rage yeah you're supposed to be down here I don't know what accent that is either um, <laughs> and then like had a massive rage at me but uh later on, he was the big boss. Later on in my shift, he called me and apologized. And it was the first time I'd had somebody so senior, um, so much older than me, hmm. actually do that, actually take it upon themselves to to own it. And apologized to me, and I tell you what, that taught me such a lesson as to gaining respect amongst um, your team members. If you have effed up, yeah, then say sorry. Like, yeah, doesn't actually take that much, and it created such a level of respect. And it was a really good lesson. Not like the the you're out of here, go, (laughs) go. Believe I used to be an actor.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting that point about apologies because they are relatively rare in some working cultures. And I I remember someone it was fairly rude to me, but given the industry that I work in, that's never been, you know, that unusual. It's, you know, that just sort of happens, mm. which is not okay. However, it is getting better. Anyway, this um this quite big character Came over and apologised to me after being quite barbed one afternoon, and I have to be honest, I thought, "Wow!" But it was so refreshing to hear somebody come over and and Can say clarify, sorry. You're
1: talking, you're talking about celebrities, aren't you?
0: No, it wasn't actually. Oh. No, oh. this wasn't this wasn't a celebrity. This was a colleague. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. And it was just
1: some... Somebody- sorry, I'm just like tarring all celebrities with the <laughs> face of <with> people. <these.
0: laughs> no, I've been um, pretty lucky on that front. They've mostly been pretty lovely. Um, but yeah, it's it's so interesting when you do get people, particularly if they're senior, and this person that had been a bit off with me was senior, to have them come back and say that they're sorry or just acknowledge that their behavior wasn't acceptable is so... Powerful because then, as you come up the ranks, it gives you the blueprints of how you can do it as well. Mm-hmm. I was it again? Oh, I was talking about this the other day. Somebody gave me such amazing feedback once, and it was really, you know, it was a difficult conversation, and it was she delivered it in such a brilliant way, and it stuck with me forever it must have been about 15 years ago at least and i still have that in the back of my head you know those good little nuggets of of advice that people give you often the ones that you draw from the most are the ones that have come out of slightly sticky conversations i think
1: absolutely and like kate was talking about how well she talks a lot in the book about how to deal with um giving bad news or, or, or poor performance reviews and um i just think if i was to get one from anyone I'd want to get one from her.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so if, even if they're telling you you're out of a job, it's like, oh, but your voice is lovely. So that's that's helpful. <laughs> you
1: sound like caramel. Like. <laughs> yeah. Christy, tell yeah. me a little something about your week.
0: My week actually involved some really lovely, dedicated podcast time, as in listening to other people's podcasts. They were totally different subjects. It was um, Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces with Frankie Boyle. And he was talking in loads of detail about a book that he'd written and it was all about his process. And I just, it was so out of my world so listening to somebody talking about a process and, and a skill that I have no understanding of was just a delight. And and I love both of those people anyway. So it's always nice to listen to them. You know, you could listen to them reading the phone book. Um, and the other one was Gok Wan talking on Lorraine and Rosie Kelly's podcast, What If?, and I don't know if you know it, but it's all about... I don't um, know that one. Yeah. Oh, it's nice. It's nice. It's all to do with, you know, what if you hadn't taken this path and what if you hadn't done this? And it was Gokwan talking about these career choices that he made. And he was working in hospitality after having quit a job in recruitment, which he really hated and wasn't about him. And then he went back into hospitality where he felt really confident and he was able to be a a very different version of himself because he felt so confident. And as a result, he then made a really cheeky decision to go and basically fib his way into his first job which then led to his illustrious career that we know him for now talking about the fact that he said it all matters you know it's finding those moments where you can be at your best and that was it for me and i just thought oh i love you Gok, and now i love you even more <laughs> but It was such a good bit of
1: advice do you remember where you first saw Gok one
0: Oh, uh, I think it was on How to Look Good Naked.
1: I first saw him on Jonathan Ross. Did you? <laughs> he, was on, he was on with the All, all, the all Saints. and they the All Saints or All Saints? Oh, uh, All Saints, yeah. yeah. He just appeared with them and they were like, this is our stylist. Um, but he was clearly destined for, for superstardom because oh, all the eyes were on him. I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> um, I'll have, I'll have a look at that. Um, I've also had a podcast every week. Um, oh, Who would you tell? 'Cause I've been sorting, sorting. I always am a bit of a bore. So if we do this every week, um you'll probably find me saying the same podcast. <laughs> so um I have been listening to The Rest is politics, which nice. I'm a massive fangirl of. Um mm. and they uh disagree agreeably, which is all about difficult conversations, isn't mm. it? Um so I love listening to those guys. Um the news agents as well. Um, oh, which is just brilliant daily show. Um, who else have I been listening to? I'm going to be authentic. Wait for the scribble. I'm going to look at my phone <laughs> and see what other podcasts I've been listening to. Uh, I have been listening to... Oh, now you don't want to know that one. <laughs> <laughs> I do now. <laughs> oh, it's, it's super boring. It's... um. It's French news. Felicity to the news in French because I'm weird. Um, Can you speak French? Ah, bien sûr. Mais oui. Not really. I've also been listening to Mother Bodies, which is by journalist Rosie Taylor, and it is talking about women's bodies postpartum, which, as you know, is something that is really close to my heart. It's about how we're kind of short-changed and our, our health and recovery is uh, not prioritised and, and how different people are um, combating problems or, or trying to make change, which is what Rosie and I are doing.
0: Nice. You've been on that one, haven't you?
1: I have been on that one. Ah. <laughs> Promoting my book, Your Postnatal Body, a top-to-toe guide to caring for yourself after pregnancy and birth. Little plug. <laughs> there we go, listeners. That's the one to check out next. Check Speak it out. to you next time. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to This is Awkward, the podcast about how to have difficult conversations. We hope you enjoyed the show.
0: You can find us on Instagram at awkwardpodcast or you can email us at hello at thisisawkward.co.uk.
1: Please do hit follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And five-star reviews will also help us expand our audience as we tackle life's most challenging chats. The content of this show is not meant to take the place of professional help,
0: such as clinical and counselling support. Please do contact your healthcare provider, HR team, other professional body, or a reputable charity to seek proper help for yourself if you've been affected by any of the issues in our show.
1: Until next time, take care, everyone.